0: Welcome back, Chris House. Come on, he's been over in Uganda for the last couple of weeks doing some missions. Come on, you can clap for that. Chris said the church, the church, because you know, we just ask you to come to church once a week, but that's that's all we do, right? But the church that he was ministering at over in Uganda, they've been at church, right? Twice a day? Twice a day, every day for the entire year of 2017. I know, yeah. And we're just saying just next Saturday for you. Just next Saturday. That's all. So it's good to have Chris back. We're excited that he's here. Hey, let me just show you two. We got some things that are coming out soon. These are going to be available in January for free. Just a little City Life sticker, a little City Life swag. How about a Heaven Now Heaven Forever button? Isn't that cool? I know. So I got one a little early. so I've been wearing mine all week. And uh, somebody asked me uh, just the other day, said, where can I get one of those? We are like, you're going to be able to get one pretty soon. So I'm going to give these to Travis Nix. He's visiting. Come on. Second second button and sticker that's out there. Travis was such a part of our College Young Professionals for so many years, and now he's up just out of Rochester, and so it's good to have him in town for the holidays. And let me ask you this question, too. I'm not, don't, don't raise your hand or respond in a public way, but let me just ask you this. How many of you here have never been water baptized? Don't, you don't have to stand up. I just want you to hear this question. How many of you have never been water baptized? Or how many of you here have never been water baptized through immersion, meaning that you've, you've never been in a baptistry like that and gone all the way in and come all the way out, which is what we believe Jesus really intended for us. Because if you're answering yes to that, that you've never been water baptized, or if you've never been water baptized through immersion, can I just say to you? you got to sign up for this water baptism that we're doing in just a couple of weeks. Don't, don't miss out on the opportunity of a God encounter that Jesus wants you to have. If he asks us to do stuff, come on, there's a reason for it. And I have, I have never, and I've baptized a lot of people since probably the early, late 1990s, early 2000s. Can I just tell you, I've never had a person after the baptism go, yeah, that wasn't as great as I thought it would be, Right? It's always just the opposite. It's the, that was amazing, or I'm so glad you challenged me to do this. So I'm just pressing you. They're, 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 I know that there are people here that need to get signed up for that. And so I know the number's not up on the screen and where to do all of that. You can see Vanessa or one of us uh, at the end of the service, and we'd love to put your name down on that list. It's that sharing service is gonna be an amazing time together. Well, this is week two in a little series that we're using to finish out this year. I think we'll be uh, through it by the end of December. If not, then uh, we might push for it, through it into some of January. I know it's called a certain kind of Christmas, but you know how we roll here at City Life that we're a little bit out of the box, so it still might be Christmas in January. So let's just do a little bit of a recap before we really dive into the content for tonight in case you weren't here last week or you've not had a chance to listen to the podcast. We're, we're talking about certainty, talking about certainty. And, and, we, and, we, and we said some things that certainty is not. Certainty is not the enemy of faith. Certainty is not the opposite of faith. Certainty is not the intellectual alternative to faith. Certainty is, is, is absolutely not the promise of a doubt-free life. I shared this definition with you that certainty is a firm conviction that something is the case. It's the quality of being reliably true, a fact that is definitely true or an event that is definitely going to take place. A person or thing can be relied on. This is what certainty is. A certainty is an emotion of the human heart that God created our heart to feel. We, we find this in, in the Gospel of Luke as we get started. I, this is the, the certain gospel. In beginning in verse 1, it says, Many people have set out to write accounts about the events that they have been fulfilled among us. They used the eyewitness report circulating among us from the early disciples. Having carefully investigated everything from the beginning, I also have decided to write a careful account to you, most honorable Theophilus. Listen to what he says. So that you can be certain of the truth of everything that you were taught. So you can be certain of the truth of everything that you were taught. God wants to give you the gift of certainty. And I believe that for many of you that certainty is going to be one of your greatest gifts this Christmas. We find this idea of certainty all throughout Scripture. I shared a few verses last week. I'm going to share a few more this week, and I'm going to share a few more next week. It's an overlooked emotion that God wants you and I to have. Listen to Genesis 18, 18. It says, for Abraham will certainly become a great and mighty nation, and all the nations of the earth will be blessed through him. Now, you might say, well, that's Abraham's story, and what I would say to you is that you have a story, and God wants you to be certain that he has put the same kind of attention into your story as he's put into Abraham, that you might not be as famous, we might not be as popular, books might not be written about us, there might not be nations that come from us, but it does not mean that God has not put the same kind of intention into our destiny as he has for Abraham, and we can be certain about it. I love Micah 7, 7. It says, as for me, I look to the Lord for help. I wait confidently for God to save me and my God will certainly hear me. I love this because Micah, as a prophet, wrote during an incredible time of uncertainty in the nation of Israel. But what does he say? I am confident that God will save me and that my God will certainly hear me. Even when you're facing uncertain times, you can be certain that God hears your cry. How about Philippians Philippians 1.6? This is a favor of many of us. And I am certain that God who began the good work within you will continue his work until it is finally finished on the day when Christ Jesus returns. Another translation renders that he who began a good work in you is faithful to complete it until the return of Christ. That's one of my favorites because it reminds us that God never gives up on us. And for some of you, that's an important one. That There might be somebody in your family, someone that you've been praying for for a long time. It might be someone that you don't see very often. You're going to see them just over Christmas. And you've been asking the question, has God given up on them? No, he hasn't. He who began a good work in them. And you might say, well, I'm not sure he actually began a work in them. And what I would say to you, the fact that they're born means that there's a work that's begun in them. The fact that God put them here in this world, there's a work that's begun in them, and God is faithful to complete. He finished what he starts. He finishes what he starts. I love that verse because part of human nature is to not finish. You have any books that you never finish reading? How about some home projects, right? You don't even want to go in that room because it's a reminder of all the things that you haven't done, right? Part of human nature is that we just, we don't finish, we don't finish what we start. God finishes everything that he begins. We can be certain about it. As a friend of God, my heart should be filled with certainty. I refuse to let the uncertainties of life rob me of what is certain. Whether by faith or by fact, my heart will be forever safe and secure from the certainty I find in the promises of God. So last week we kind of introduced John the Baptist as the certain prophet or the prophet of certainty. And so I want to continue with some lessons that we find in his life tonight as we dive into a little bit of the Christmas story. This is uh, beginning in Luke 3-9. through 9. Luke 3 through nine listen to these verses all right that's luke 1 let's get to 3 luke 3 here we go 3 through 9 then john went from place to place on both sides of the jordan river preaching that people should be baptized just a little plug there to show that they had repented of their sins and turned to god to be forgiven Isaiah had spoken of John when he said, He is a voice shouting in the wilderness, Prepare the way for the Lord's coming. Clear the road for him. The valleys shall be filled, the mountains and hills made level, the curves will be straightened, and the rough places made smooth, and then all people will see the salvation that's sent from God. This is important language in ancient times because when a king had a kingdom and there was a part of that kingdom that they had never visited, oftentimes there was not a road that would get them there. And if the king decided, I want to go over there, then engineers and workers, and sometimes it would take years, and then This language here of mountains being brought low, valleys being exalted, the crooked straight, and the rough places plain was was poetic language that talked about what a king would do to access their people. And this is what God did for us. He made a way for his son to come and be in our midst. Verse seven said, when the crowds came to John for baptism, he said, you brood of snakes, who, who warned you to flee God's coming wrath. Prove by the way that you live that you have repented of your sins and turned to God. Don't say to each other we're safe for we're descendants of Abraham. That means nothing for I tell you that God can create children of Abraham from these very stones. Even now the acts of God's judgment is poised, ready to sever the roots of the trees. Yes, every tree that does not produce fruit will be chopped down and be thrown into the fire. These are not words from someone who's not certain, right? When you read John the Baptist and the things that he said and the people that he was talking to, all the religious leaders of his day, his king, his ruler, political leaders, the, 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 the local religious leaders of his towns and communities, that he had a strong message for them. And when you read about him, you get the impression that he did not care about any coming consequences that would come his way. There was a certainty that that marked the life and the ministry of John the Baptist. Now, tonight's service is going to be a little bit unique because I want to create some opportunities for you to maybe respond to what Jesus might be speaking to your heart tonight. So as as we continue on in this sermon, there's three places where I'm going to stop. We're going to do one of them in just, just a minute. And it's going to require a little bit of courage for some of you. It's hard to be conspicuous, isn't it? might be that you're visiting tonight and you're a stranger. It's even harder sometimes to be conspicuous when you're a, tr- a stranger because you're asking the question, can I trust the people that are in this room? But as we work through some of these points, what, what, what I, just, I felt like God was just speaking to my heart that in, instead of building to a response at the end, we were supposed to stop in each one of those moments so that God could minister to your heart while your heart was tender. Can I just tell you, growing up, I sat through many services like this, and there would be moments in the service where, where my heart would be, would be tender towards God. And if there had been a moment to respond, I would have done it right then. But then all of a sudden, right, our humanity has a way of just kind of sealing back up over that tenderness, and you get to the end of the service, and all of a sudden, that tenderness isn't there anymore. So what we're going to do tonight is we're just going to have a few moments where we stop. We're just going to pause and let you stand, we're not gonna ask you to do anything else, but just, I wanna have an opportunity to pray for you in that moment, does that make sense? And, and you might say, well, I'm, I don't know whether or not I'm supposed to be one of those people to stand, and what I would say to you is, oh, you're gonna know, right? You're, you're inside of your heart, something inside of you is gonna say, I, I, I need, I need to encounter God in this moment. There's gonna be a self-evidencing quality to your need to step into that moment. One of the things I love about the life of John the Baptist is that he was certain about his message of forgiveness. He was certain that forgiveness was possible. He was certain that, that no matter who you were, where you came from, or what you had done, that you could find forgiveness. You think about all the people and the, and, and the way that he challenged them and for, for many of them, the terrible things that he had done. When John the Baptist preached, he didn't say, hey, this isn't for you over there because you're too far gone. This isn't for you over here because what you, you, you're beyond God's grace. John had a hard message that was certain in its presentation, but part of his certainty was to every person that forgiveness is possible for you. Now this was an intense moment for many of the people that were in those crowds because in John the Baptist's day, Judaism was the prevailing religion of this community that he was in. He was in the nation of Israel. Even though they were being occupied by Rome, Roman religion had not really overtaken Israel yet. And so Judaism was still the prevailing religion of most of the people that were in these crowds. And Judaism in Jesus' day had kind of, had, kind of devolved into this, this religion of regret. Meaning that the way that you felt spiritually superior to other people, right, is if that's not bad enough as it is, is that you would express more regret about yourself than other people. It was like a competition for who could be the most sorrowful for being the most sinful. And this, this, this is what defined their religious practice. Now, and what's so tragic about that is where's the hope in that? Right, so, so when they would gather together, it was just this this competition to how 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 sorrowful can we make ourselves feel, and John the Baptist came onto the scene and he says, "Hey, regret is an important part of repentance, but it's not supposed to stop there." At some point, as your conscience begins to feel as though this is wrong and this is right, that's a healthy conscience, but at some point, that part of who you are that feels regret should also begin to feel hope. And the part of you that begins to feel hope should believe that change is possible. Judaism in Jesus' day was that this is my condition and I'm never going to change. John the Baptist says, you need to change, and change is possible, and that the Spirit of God can come and live inside of us, and then all of a sudden, I can become a different person than I used to be, and I believe that some of you here, you came into this room tonight, and you're struggling with some things in your life and you're stuck in this place of thinking that change is never going to come for you. Listen to this verse. This is in Luke 3, 8. Prove by the way that you live that you have repented of your sins and turn to God. Don't just say to each other we're safe and then that's a fill in the blank moment because lots of us have reasons to say that we feel safe. What John the Baptist is, is saying is that that is that if you're not careful, you'll give yourself permission to stay stuck in a place because of God's grace. And what John the Baptist is saying is, no, the power of the grace of God is that you begin to believe that I don't have to stay stuck in this place. And by the power of the Spirit I work in my life, that I can come to a place where I don't struggle with that brokenness anymore. So this is what I wanna do. We're gonna do this a couple of more times. And again, I know this is gonna take some courage. You might be the only person that stands. But what I would say to you, is what the book of James says to all of us. When we draw near to God, he draws near to us. So I'm just saying, if you came in here tonight, if you came in here tonight, and and there's something in your life where you would say, Fred, you're, you're preaching to me right now. There's something in my life that I've been struggling with, and I've had these thoughts, even just this week, I'm not sure I'm ever gonna be able to change. I'm just gonna invite you to stand where you are. I just wanna pray with you, and then we're gonna move on. Come on, love that courage. Somebody else, don't be shy, come on. Come on. Father, we just pray for these people that are standing right now. We, we know, God, that it's no different here in this moment than it was 2,000 years ago when people came out to hear John the Baptist preach by the Jordan River that there was a sense of expectancy, God, that, that you would meet them there. And I thank you, God, that we can have that same expectancy tonight, that we're 2,000 years forward in history, but you're the same God here that you were then. And so we believe that John's message is still true for us today. That not only do you want to forgive us from these things in our lives that we struggle with, but you want to deposit a measure of your spirit in us that empowers us to break free from old patterns. So Father, I pray for every person that's standing right now. And I pray, Father, that your spirit would stir in them even now with such a might and such a power that there is a confidence and, yes, a certainty that would be birthed in them that this struggle is going to end and that 2018 is going to be a year of liberty and freedom for their life. Come on, in Jesus' name and everybody said together, amen. Amen. Come on, how about applaud some courage. John the Baptist was certain. He was certain about forgiveness. He was also certain about the nearness of the kingdom of heaven. He was certain about the nearness of the kingdom of heaven. When, when he talks about the kingdom of heaven, what, what, what basically what he was saying, it's just a fancy poetic way of saying that God is close to us. He is not far away. Now, this was such a strange concept for the people of John the Baptist's day because their constant emotional state was one of isolation. Most people in John the Baptist's day never left more than just a basic walking distance from their home and that was true for generations. Their parents and parents on up and their children after them, they lived in just a very small part of the world that they could access on foot. They lived with a constant sense of isolation and part of what created this sense of isolation for them or, 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 or exaggerated it is that because of the Roman Empire, that parts of the world began to be discovered that had never been discovered before. So they had awareness that the world was so much bigger, but they knew that they would never be able to access it. You see? And so this idea of realizing and all the discoveries that was taking place and the broadening of the Roman Empire and the roads and the communication systems and the common language of Greek reminded them of how isolated they were. They, they, their emotional state was complete and total isolation, and that's hard for us because isolation. Even if we never leave the 757, you have a sense of being connected to the rest of the world. Social media gives you a sense of being connected to the rest of the world. Chris is in Uganda, and we're texting. Right? I'm looking on Facebook, and there's, there he is ministering and worship in this church. When, when we do mission strips, we're, we're able to FaceTime. Those of you that are in the military, you, you can connect. And I, I get it. I know it's not the same, but it's better than what it used to be. You with me? Being able to FaceTime and Skype and, and, and this idea of, of, of nations uh, beginning to, to connect, the globalization of economies and, all oh, right, Bitcoin, let's just add it all into the big pile, right? There's a connectedness that's happening In our world. And it's not going away. And and one of the gifts that is to us is, is that we don't feel isolated. But many of you, you still feel isolated spiritually. You have this sense of connection to the rest of the world, but you have a complete and total sense of disconnection with your Father in heaven. And the danger of the connectedness of the world, I'm not saying it's bad. I'm all about the connectedness of the world. I'm all about the dopamine I get from when you like my Facebook pages because I'm just that superficial and so should you be, right? If you enjoy a little bit of ice cream, why can't you enjoy a like by your friend, right? Am Am I just preaching to myself right here right now? All right, let's just get on that soapbox for a minute, right? If that's trouble for you, that you're afraid that you're gonna get addicted to those things and what I would say is social media is not your problem, that there's a deeper issue, right? There's just a deeper issue. Be be careful, even just projecting that onto your kids. This is this is the world that our kids are growing up in. You give them an identity in Christ, you give them a certainty about the purposes of God, you plant them in a community of other young people that are passionate about Christ. There's nothing, the superficial offerings that social media can give them that can even compete with that, right? I'm just saying. So you're on this journey, in this life. We're going into 2018. We have such a sense of being connected to the whole world. And if we're not careful, that sense of connectedness to the whole world can be enough for you. And what I'm saying to you is it's not enough. It's not enough. Because there is a part of you that needs to wake up every day having a sense that God is your best and closest friend. And that connection is the most important connection that you could ever have. So when John the Baptist comes onto the scene and says the kingdom of God is near, he was speaking to a crowd of people that was very different than this. He was speaking to a crowd of people that had no sense of nearness to anything. And John the Baptist was saying to them, I know it's not going to change. You're going to feel isolated probably for generations even longer. But what you can have is a nearness to God, and that can be enough. And that message is true for us, but now in the opposite. If John the Baptist were here, what he would say to you is, I know that you're probably never going to feel isolated again from the rest of the world, but what I would say to you is make sure that you're not satisfied with that. That there's a connection with your creator that you're desperate for. So if you came in here tonight, maybe you had this thought just this morning when you woke up. And the thought was, I just feel Far from God. I'm gonna invite you to stand where you are. Just wanna pray for you. If you you just, you're wrestling with this feeling of being distant. Just gonna invite you to stand. Invite you to stand. Come on, we're gonna wait for you because we know you're here. We know you're here. Thank you for your courage. Father, I lift up every person that's standing in this sanctuary right now. We lift them up to you, Father. We lift them up to you. And we know, God, that you are here in this room with us. It's hard for us to wrap our hearts and minds around that because we can't see you. But but what we know, God, in our own journey with you, sometimes feeling is better than seeing. And I pray that you would give every person in this room right now an incredible sense to be able to feel your presence in their life. I pray that you would just overwhelm them right now from the inside out, that they would just—they—they they have this sense of your presence just welling up inside of them like a geyser and surrounding them and enveloping them with your perfect peace. I pray, Father, that, 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 that when this moment comes to an end, that it's not going to come to an end for them. That that when they sit down, that the presence that they find here in this moment, they're going to carry that presence with them into the hours of the rest of this day and into the rest of tomorrow and into the rest of this year and into the rest of their lives. That we pray, Father, that your closeness and your nearness would never be displaced by anything else in this world. I pray, Father, that for the rest of their lives, that when they wake up every day, for the rest of their lives until the very end, God, that one of the first thoughts that would come to their mind is, God, thank you for being near to me. In Jesus' name, come on, and everybody said amen. Come on, how about applaud some courage? Come on, it's not, it's not easy to stand up. You know it's not easy because some of you should have stood twice already and you still haven't, right? It's hard. We applaud courage at the City Life Church. For all of you who just stood, I want to give you this verse. This is Matthew 123. so powerful. This is the Christmas story right here. Look, the virgin will conceive a child, and she will give birth to a son. Now, I'm not trying to minimize the miracle of the virgin birth, but what I would say to you is the greater miracle is in the back half of this verse. They will call his name Emmanuel, which means God is with us. God is with us. The virgin birth was to serve the greater miracle, and that's the nearness of God. Matthew 1.23, for some of you, that's going to be your verse for this entire year. God is close to me. He's close to me. And he can do and overcome anything, anything to be by my side. We read about John the Baptist, and if we're not careful, right, we, 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 we feel like a failure. Right? We read about him, and we're, we, we think to ourselves, I, I'm not sure I've even had one day in my life where I've been that bold. We read about people like John the Baptist and other people in Scripture, and we can begin to have this feeling and this thought. I wonder if it was ever hard for him. It got hard for John the Baptist. The certain prophet became the prophet of uncertainty. Listen to these verses. This is in Luke chapter 7. Luke chapter 7, it's verses 18 and 19. It says the disciples of John the Baptist told John about everything Jesus was doing. Why did they have to tell him about what Jesus was doing? Because John the Baptist is in prison. The king who he spoke against was angry, arrested him, and threw him in jail. When you got thrown into jail back in John the Baptist day by the king, there were some things that were certain and death was one of them. It was just a matter of when it would come. So his disciples are coming to visit him in prison and they're telling him all the things that Jesus is doing. Listen to what John says. He says he called two of his disciples to him. So you get this picture, there were lots of them there, right, with John, their friend, their leader, and and as they're leaving away, he, he pulls two of them back because he's a little embarrassed about his doubt. In verse 19 it says, and he sent them to the Lord to ask, Are you really the Messiah that we've been expecting or should we keep looking for someone else? Now, if that's the only verse that you've read about John, you would think, well, that's a fair question. But if you back up just a little bit More in time, you realize that John the Baptist stood on those shores of the Jordan River and declared to the whole world that Jesus was the Messiah. He said, look, this is the Lamb of God that takes away the sins of the world. He baptizes Jesus. He's there when Jesus goes in the water, another plug for baptism, comes back up out, right? And it says the heavens open, a dove comes and rests upon him, and the voice of God shouted audibly, this is my son that I love with whom I'm well pleased. John was there on that day. And yet here he is, he's not sure if Jesus is, even the certain prophet, his certainty was failing him. See, sometimes our uncertain circumstances begin to chip away at our certainty. We're given every indication that John the Baptist did everything right, but there he is facing death And then all of a sudden, this this prophetic anointing of certainty that that, that he used, to that God gave him to break 400 years of prophetic silence like we talked about last week. Now, all of a sudden, this, this certainty that was such a powerful part of his ministry, now he's questioning whether or not Jesus is God. Uncertain circumstances that are big, they will shake us. If they're shaking John, they're going to shake us. Sometimes this, this feeling of certainty that we have, it can just be, it can be gone in a moment. It can be gone in a moment. So just a couple of weeks ago, I had my last and final gift of turning 50. Yeah. My birthday's been lasting all year, right? When you turn 50, right, you're not, some of you do birthday for a week. When you turn 50, it's a year-long celebration. It's a year-long celebration. My great and final gift of turning 50 was my colonoscopy. Yeah. Anybody else over 50 in the room? I know. Yeah. See? Welcome to it. When I went for my consultation, I kid you not, the nurse said, happy birthday. Happy birthday, right? The old backdoor camera. It's wonderful. Wonderful. Yeah. Yeah. Gatorade will never taste the same ever again. And if you don't know why that's funny, come talk to me when you're 50. Come talk to me when you're 50. Yeah. So I'm in the, the, the kind of the, the pre-op type room. You know, they've got the IV all hooked up. I'm in the wonderful backless gown and laying there in the bed. And Vanessa's there, and, and she comes over to my bedside, and she said, are you nervous? And I said, no, I'm not. And I wasn't. I wasn't nervous. I talked to a bunch of people, right? It's just it's just common, common practice. It, you know, it's a little embarrassing, but that's that. You know, she asked if I was I wasn't nervous at all, not not the least bit, not the least bit. So they come in, they they roll me back into the into the room where they 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 do the procedure. The doctor comes over, and the, the nurse is at, at, administering the, the anesthesia. They call it twilight. Is it twilight? I think is what they call it, right? So you're not, they, don't, you're, they, they say they don't put you completely under, but you, you, you typically fall asleep and don't remember anything about, that, about the procedure. And so, so it's, that's in my IV, right? You can just kind of feel it in your body. You're like, okay, this, is, this might be worth it. This is pretty good, <laughs> right? And so the doctor comes over as this is, 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 is just working its way through my bloodstream, and I'm like, I'm getting ready to take a great nap. And he comes over, and he says, Mr. Michaud, and I'm trying hard, right, to concentrate on him because I'm feeling really good. And I'm looking up at him. My face is probably all scrunchy. And he says, I should probably tell you that in certain instances, the camera can nick the inside of your large intestines, This is a true story, and it can cause internal bleeding, and it will require major surgery to repair, but it almost never happens, and right then, I was nervous. All of my certainty was gone in a moment, like a vapor, and then I fell asleep, and I woke up, and I was okay, right? But what I wanted to say to that doctor was, you're a jerk. <laughs> but that's not what you want to say to someone who's going to have you half naked with a camera and you're going to be asleep. You want to be nice to that person, right? So I had a little self control. But I think, what it, I, I've been in a, 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 a pre-consultation that was, before, that was two weeks prior. They didn't talk about that. You know, you know me, right? I'm a reader, so I'm reading all the documentation that they're giving, all those, I read through none of that, none of that's in there. Not until right the moment before you go in, he tells you this. Now, we know that's a cute and a, and a funny story, but, but this is what happens to us in life. We come into a circumstance in a situation, and we couldn't be more certain. And then all of a sudden, our sense of certainty evaporates. See, it's because it's an emotion. This is where we talked about last week. Certainty is not a virtue. Certainty is not part of your character. Faith is the virtue that's part of our character. And that's the part of us that should remain unchanged. But certainty is an emotion. And it is the emotion that faith gives to me. It's the gift that faith gives to my emotional state. My spirit gives my soul this gift. Character creates certain emotions, certain kinds of character. Faith gives the emotion of certainty. And when we're in situations that are uncertain, our certainty can go away. And then what we do is we settle back into this place of faith and we rest there. We dig in our heels, we put down our feet and you know what happens? Even in uncertain times, that feeling of certainty can come back to us even though our situation has not changed. You might be in a situation right now where you're experiencing failing certainty. The emotion is gone. You're standing in a place of faith, but that feeling of certainty that you once had, it's it's disappeared like a morning mist. This is what happened to John the Baptist. I so love the gospel of Luke because the Holy Spirit could have just left us there, but he didn't. Because he wanted us to know that there are going to be moments in our lives where we're like John the Baptist. There are going to be moments in our lives where there's a certainty that seems like it can never go away. And then situations and circumstances all of a sudden cause that certainty to be displaced. And we're left with this this need of, of how do I get back there? Listen to what Jesus does for John the Baptist. So powerful. So the two disciples, they go find Jesus, and they say, Jesus, John the Baptist wants to know if you're the one. What? What did he say? Because they're cousins. You tell that good-for-nothing cousin of mine, right? I baptized him in the Holy Spirit when he was in the womb. Isn't that enough for him? I mean, He's the person that me and the Father picked to break 400 years of prophetic silence. Why does he have any questions? He heard the voice, he saw the dove. That's not easy to do. Is that what he does? So good. So good. John's two disciples found Jesus and said to him, John the Baptist sent us to ask. You've got to love the courage of just these two, right? You ask him. I'm not asking him, you ask him, right? If he can raise the dead, he can probably kill people too, right? <laughs> Are you the Messiah we've been expecting? Or should we look for someone else? Look at what Jesus says. At that very time, Jesus cured many people of of their diseases. This isn't talking about his ministry. It's saying that Jesus' response to that question was to say nothing. And he began to move amongst that crowd and began to minister to people in supernatural ways so that the disease were healed evil spirits were delivered he restored sight to many who were blind he didn't say a word to these two he just said with his actions watch this and he became the messiah for them in witness and then he comes back to the disciples you just got to love it and when he's done we don't know how long it took the impression is it took a long time because he's ministering to a lot of people He goes back, he says, you go tell John what you have seen and heard. The blind see, the lame walk, and those with leprosy are cured. The deaf hear, the dead are raised to life, and the good news is being preached to the poor. Jesus is patient with us when we're doubting. Jesus is patient with you when he's patient with me when our certainty has slipped away and we're struggling to find our way back to a place of faith so certainty can come back to our heart. He's patient with us when our certainty is failing. Look at Luke 7.23, and he added, God blesses those Who do not fall away because of me. Why was that part of the message? That was part of the message because so many people by this time in Jesus' ministry, they were leaving him. And the reason they were leaving him is because Jesus was not meeting their expectations. About who they thought God should be and how they thought God should act and how they thought God should respond to their situation and circumstance. Many people left because they had assumptions about who Jesus should be. And when Jesus didn't meet with those assumptions, they became uncertain about him. And because they stayed in a place of uncertainty and did not find their way back to a place of faith, they fell away. Uncertainty is a dangerous place to be especially if you let your assumptions that you've assigned to God to now become your truth as opposed to going back to a place of faith acknowledging the reality of your circumstances and beginning to ask God in this place of faith God help me to see the assumptions that I have formed agreements that I have made with my past that now make it hard for me to see you In those moments, Jesus lovingly, kindly comes along beside us. He takes us by the hand. He brings us back to a place of faith if we let him. He's the perfect gentleman, and he never forces himself on any of us. He brings us back to that place of faith, and then because he loves us, he begins to show us the assumptions that we have many times, the assumptions that lead to our uncertainty. You think John the Baptist had some assumptions? I think he did. I think John the Baptist assumed that because he had been faithful in everything that he had done, he wasn't going to be put in prison and made a martyr. And I'm just saying that's fair, because I think you and I would have gotten right there with him. I'm not sure, God, why I'm even here. There's nothing about John the Baptist's life until this point that would lead us to believe anything that he was a perfect, stellar example of what it means to be a child of God. And Jesus is saying, when you go back to John, remind him that people fall away because they make assumptions and that he shouldn't do that. Trust in the sovereignty of your God. Verses 24 to 28, and John's disciples left, happy that they had not been killed. That's not in there, I'm just throwing that in. Jesus began talking about him to the crowd. Oh, come on, right? Right? They're gone, and now Jesus says, I'm going to talk him up. I know he's hurting. I know people are doubting his ministry because now other people are looking from the outside in and wondering if John is such a great prophet, then why would he suffer? Wouldn't God honor someone, right? People, they're beginning to question the legitimacy of John the Baptist. So Jesus turns to the crowd and begins to talk him up. What kind of man did you go into the wilderness to see? Was he a weak reed, swayed by every breath of the wind? Or were you expecting to see a man dressed in expensive clothes? No, people who wear beautiful clothes and live in luxury are found in palaces. Were you looking for a prophet? Yes, and he is more than a prophet. John is the man to whom the scriptures refer when they say, Look, I am sending my messenger ahead of you, and he will prepare my way before you. Listen to the first part of verse 28. I tell you all who have ever lived, none is greater than John. Oh, come on. This is what Jesus does for us when we're wrestling with uncertainty. He's patient with us. He challenges our assumptions because he loves us. And then he turns to the world and he begins to rebuild our reputation because that's how much he cares about us. Jesus' love for us isn't fickle. It's unconditional. It's unconditional. This is hard for us because every relationship in our life has conditions on it. You don't believe that? Don't show up for your job next week. There's conditions. Don't work hard at parenting your children while they're young. There's conditions. God's love for us is unconditional because it's one of the few relationships where that kind of love is safe. And it's safe because he's perfect. When you and I make mistakes, you know what begins to happen? We begin to wonder if God loves us any less. And for some of you here tonight, that's the place that you're stuck. For some of you here tonight, you're You're discouraged because you believe that God's love and affection, I'm talking about the heartfelt emotion of love and affection that he has for you, that you have assumed that he loves you the way the rest of this world loves you, and the sense that other people's feelings, they ebb and flow based on the condition of that relationship at the time. But not with God. Not with God. There is nothing that you can do. There is no distance that you can try to put between you and him that would cause him to love you any less. And on your best days, he doesn't love you anymore because he loves you as much as a perfect divine being can love, and that's a lot of love. So I'm just asking if you're here tonight and you came in, and you've been struggling in your walk with God because you believe that there are conditions with his affections based on your performance, I'm just gonna invite you to stand because I wanna pray for you in this moment because we want you to be free from that. We want you to be free from that. So you stand. If you're here, Father, I pray for every person that's standing tonight that, that's, that's been, been living under this cloud of conditions that there is a love that you want them to discover from you that, that, that rises to a place of, 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 of feeling accepted that's beyond anything that they've ever felt before. The, a celebration and an affirmation that comes from their creator, maybe God, that, that they've never broken into before. I pray that they would break into that moment right now as they stand. That there would just be an overflow of love, an overflow of love, And I pray, Father, that you would write something on the table of their heart, and it's a sign that they're going to see every day for the rest of their life that this measure of love that I feel will never change. That, God, your love for them is without condition that your love for them will never be withdrawn, that your love for them doesn't ever need to get more and it's never ever gonna get less because it's perfect by the measure that it is today, a, a love that overwhelms, a love that overflows, and a love that can sustain them all the days of their life. Come on, in Jesus' name and everybody said together, amen. Come on, how about applaud some courage? I'm going to invite the worship team to come back up. I know we're off the clock just a little bit. I'm going to step away from just this topic of certainty for a moment as the band comes, and I want to share a couple of things with you that I feel like God really pressed on on my heart. That's as we go into this last song. I got some questions not too long ago about the Magi, about the wise men, and someone was asking me about who they were. We did a series that, were, that was based on the Magi, the, the, the wise men, a few, few years ago. It's, it's, it's a fascinating study. If you're curious to know some of those details, if you Google that, there's an article on, in Christianity Today, and you can read some interesting, uh, we don't know for sure, but right, just Christian historians and things that they share with us. If, if you're into Christian history, you might find that interesting. But there's there's a prophetic picture that the magi give to us. Because by the fact that they were called magi, we know that they were the ast- astrologers of their day, which which meant that they believed in the divine. And they had devoted their lives to looking for signs from divinity. They might not have believed in the one true God that we believe in, but they believed that a god or gods existed. And they devoted their lives to looking to the stars for signs from him. How great is it that God used a star to lead them to the Messiah? He doesn't care about our broken beliefs. He's not threatened by those things. He uses them to bring us to him. But there's another picture of the Magi, I believe, that's for some of you here today. Is that the Magi were not spiritually lazy. Even though evidence would, would be there for us that they weren't worshipers of the one true God, some people believe it's possible that they even had an idea of a coming Messiah if they were from Babylon because of Daniel's time in Babylon and that he had set into motion a revelation about the one true God. But we don't know that for sure. It's still just conjecture. I love the, the imagery of the Magi Living every day of their life hoping and believing and desiring for a revelation. And I believe that's a powerful picture for some of you here because 2017 for you has been a year of spiritual laziness. You've adopted a a shepherd mindset in the sense that if you're not careful you can live your life by looking at the shepherds in the fields and you'll begin to live this way with God. If he's got something to say, he can just find me where I am. Because that's what he did for the shepherds. The shepherds were, they were a pretty rowdy bunch, just so you know. They were absolutely irreligious. And those are the people that God finds and says, let's tell them first above anybody else that the Messiah is coming. I share that to say if you know someone who's far from God they're like the shepherds. God is going to reach out to them. But if you've got a Magi calling on your life meaning that you've got some understanding about what it means to be a devoted follower of Christ you're not the shepherd. Maybe you used to be the shepherd but you've been around church enough You've read the Bible enough, you've sat through sermons like this enough, you've stood maybe in times where you stood tonight, and you know that there's responsibility that God has given to you, there's work that you're supposed to be doing to pursue Him. This year in 2018, I'm telling you, for some of you tonight as we sing this song, you've got to say to yourself, this is going to be my Magi year. This is going to be my Magi year. I know the stuff I'm supposed to be doing that I'm not doing. And I know the stuff that, that I need to stop doing. I'm, I'm going to stop. I'm just, life is going to be different. It's going to be a Magi year for you. That you're going to pursue God like you've never pursued Him before. You're going to stop posturing like a shepherd. You're going to live like a Magi. And you're going to allow God to begin to birth inside of you a hunger and a desire for Him like you've never had before. Let's stand as we worship together.